Our first scripture reading is from Psalm 116, verses 1 through 7. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwiry. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. Our second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So, the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I'll read that one again. That makes no sense. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, hold on, Lazarus was sick. The one he loved was sick. You run to the one you love who's sick. Yet the scripture says, if you read it in Greek, it's, it's even more jarring. Lazarus was sick, therefore, is what the Greek says. Therefore, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. He wouldn't have walked 18 miles to wake Lazarus up, right? His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, 
but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. It's the word of the Lord. Many of you know that we had two memorial services this week at First Presbyterian Church. One was for Mike Kask, and the other was for Libby Bernhardt. I ask that you would please pray for the Kask, Bernhard, Donegan, Brown families this week. As I was preparing for their memorial services, I was drawn to a story from the book of John. And as we read, it's from John chapter 11. We read the story. It's a story about a man named Lazarus. And if you read through the entire story, it is a very long stretch of Scripture. I was tempted to preach the entire story this week. And my wife gently said to me, maybe you can divide it into sections. Maybe you can preach multiple sermons. And so over the next three weeks... I'm going to be preaching from John chapter 11. And you have my wife to thank for the fact that you'll be home for lunch today. So we're not going to come to the end of the story and to, to complete closure today. But just stick with us over the next three weeks and we'll get through John 11. I want to start with, with this question and, and you can just answer it silently in, in your mind. How many towns in the United States of America are named Fairfield? During our first service, we had guesses of six, seven, and a hundred. According to Google, there are 35 towns in the United States named Fairfield. I believe that this means that there is a high probability that in another Fairfield in the United States today, there is a group of people gathered in a different church worshiping the same God. They're in Fairfield. We're, we are in Fairfield. We are both in places named Fairfield doing similar things yet in different locations. The reason I bring that up is because John chapter 11 begins with two people in a place with the same name, yet they are in different locations. Jesus was in a place named Bethany. Jesus was in Bethany, 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem, outside of the region of Judea along the Jordan River. He was in a small village named Bethany, and there Jesus was engaged in faithful and fruitful ministry. People were receiving and welcoming Jesus in Bethany. Meanwhile, there was a man named Lazarus also in Bethany in the region of Judea, who lay sick. 
And it was in the Bethany where Lazarus finds himself in the region of Judea. It was in the region of Judea that in John chapter 10, an armed mob had picked up stones and was ready to kill Jesus. It was near that Bethany that Jesus had recently escaped with his life. Jesus was teaching in the safety zone of Bethany while Lazarus lay sick in the danger zone, also named Bethany. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus from the danger zone that their brother Lazarus lay sick. That, that phrase caught my attention this week. Lazarus lay sick. You know what that means. Lazarus is not sick and still going to work. Lazarus is not sick and still making it to school. Lazarus is not sick and going to band practice, making it to, to his sporting event or attending church. Lazarus is laid up sick. He has a life-altering sickness, a life-threatening sickness. So the sisters send word to Jesus, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. People who Jesus loves and people who love Jesus get sick. People Jesus loves and people who love Jesus suffer. People Jesus loves and people who love Jesus die. If sickness, suffering, and death are an affront to your faith, you will not hold on to faith for long. The love of God does not spare us from sickness, suffering, and death. The love of God meets us in sickness, suffering, and death. Years ago, I may still have the book on my shelf, I, I read a book by a Jewish rabbi called Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? You, you may have even asked that question, right? It's one of life's mysteries. Why do bad things happen to good people? It just doesn't feel fair. As a person of faith, I've evolved out of that question. Um, why do bad things happen to good people? Bad, bad things happen to good people. We, ju we just know that. The world is a fallen place. The world is a complex place. And so I don't, I don't ask why. But as a person of faith, I, I do ask this question. If God, excuse me, God is all-powerful. If you have a, any concept of God, God is God. God is all-powerful. To be God, God is almighty, which means that God chooses what to allow and what not to allow. That God can stop sickness, suffering, and death. That it, nothing is, is impossible and nothing is too hard for God. And so if God can stop sickness, suffering, and death, why doesn't God stop it? And especially, why does God allow 
people who God loves to get sick and to suffer and to die? Why does God allow the children who he loves to get sick and suffer and die, right? Because it doesn't feel very loving. Is that okay to say in church? It, it almost appears as if it's a contradiction to the love of God. I've been at bedsides of people who are new Christians and they get bad news. They, they've recently made the profession that God is love, Jesus is God, and God loves me. And yet at their bedside, their new Christians, they find out that it's cancer. They learn that it's fatal. And they're shocked. And they say, I've given my life to Christ. How could this happen? I, I'm, I'm God's beloved child. How could God permit me to suffer and die? If he really loved me, I wouldn't be sick. If he really loved me, my child would be okay. If he really loved me, I wouldn't have lost my family member. God doesn't spare us from sickness, suffering, and death. God meets us with his love in sickness and suffering and death. And let me give you some biblical truth, and then I'll, I'll tell you a story about how that works. Paul wrote this in Romans 8, 35 through 38. If you're going through something today, you're not okay. You're in church because you're not okay. Here's something to just allow to seep into your soul. This is what Paul wrote. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, starvation, nakedness, danger, trouble, death? As it is written... For your sake we face death all day long. We consider ourselves as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, separate you, separate FPC from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God, the love of Christ does not spare us. The love of God meets us in our suffering. It's a mystery. Hey, if, if you come up to me after the service and, you, and you, you have all the answers about God, we're not worshiping the same God. Because my God is God, and that means I can't figure out everything that God does. Right? If, if I understood God, if you understood God in the way that God works, in all situations, that, that's not God. Right? Part of the reason that we fall down in worship to God is because we don't have God figured out. So, so here's how it works. Yesterday I told this story at Libby Bernhardt's funeral, and if, if you weren't there, I, I have permission from her family to share it today. Libby Bernhardt was, if, if anyone loved Jesus, it was Libby. Anyone here know Libby? All right, let me get an amen, let's go. Come on. If anybody loved Jesus, it was Libby. Good, I know we're at the traditional service. Amen is traditional, not contemporary. Amen? Okay, so let's just talk about our beloved sister of the Lord Jesus Christ. This woman was a worship leader. 
This woman breathed Jesus. I, I believe that she sweated Jesus. She was on fire for the Lord God Almighty. She was on fire for the Lord God Almighty. And in 1981, the day after Thanksgiving, her house was engulfed in fire. The oil company lit her house on fire. Libby Bernhard was sitting in her kitchen as her house was engulfed in flames. She, the beloved of God, was engulfed in flames. How could God allow that to happen? You know she suffered for months in the hospital with burns all over her body. She inhaled fire and it wasn't a circus trick. You know what her family told me? How she survived? Libby came to church. God didn't save her because she came to church. But God works when you come to church. Libby came to church and she was in coffee hour. And she was complaining that her house is always cold. She was telling the associate pastor's wife, my house is freezing. The associate pastor's wife felt moved, inspired to serve this woman who was always serving God. She went out and bought Libby a set of pajamas. And these were the old school pajamas. These were the pajamas that, that covered your feet. Remember, Libby was cold. They were the pajamas that covered your, they had the mittens. I don't know if you ever, if you remember those pajamas. They fell out of style. She, she had the mittens on. Her hands were covered because Libby was cold. They were pajamas that went up and they covered her neck because Libby was complaining about being cold. And they were pajamas that were flame retardant. The pajamas saved Lord, Libby's life. The Lord did not spare her for suffering, but preserved her in suffering. The love of God met Libby, spared Libby, saved Libby in the midst of burns and suffering. The Lord's not going to spare you for su from suffering. If your theology is based on your circumstances, James says, you're going to be unstable in all your ways. You'll never hold on to faith because the world is a roller coaster. It's ups and downs and highs and lows. So God doesn't spare us from suffering. He meets us in our suffering with his love. Okay. Now, how do you respond to suffering? You. I'm talking to you. How do you respond when the chips are down, when something senseless happens? When things are out of your control, you're helpless and you're powerless to fix the situation, right? And, and it's breaking your heart. As, as a dad, I can speak to, to the parents. I can't, won't be speaking to the grandparents for a little while, praise the Lord. But, but when something's going on with your child and, and it just tears you up, when something's going on with someone else's child and it just tears you up, how do you respond? You know, I, I presented this story as the story of Lazarus, the death and life of Lazarus, right? But before we get to Lazarus, it's the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus. Mary and Martha are the stars at the beginning of this story. They are our examples of faith, and they show us the way to responding to suffering and sickness and death. 
in the midst of being powerless and helpless to help their brother, they send word to Jesus and they say, the one you love is sick. You get that? Did you catch it this time? The one you love is sick. Mary and Martha in the midst of sickness, suffering, and death are not judging or questioning the love of God. Rather, in the midst of suffering and sickness and death, they are the ones who rely on the love of God. How do they do it? They send word to Jesus. Jesus was there physically in their day. Jesus is with us spiritually in our day. They lift up a prayer request. The one you love is sick. You know, God doesn't even need all the details. God already knows. God loves that person more than you do. God loves that person longer than you have. God loves that person better than you do. They just lift up a simple, direct, faith-filled prayer request to their God. We make prayer so complicated, right? Well, well how, do, how do I come to, to God? Do, do I have to bow my head? Do I have to close my eyes? Well, if, if I bow my hands, will, will, will it rise up quicker? Will, will God be more responsive? Oh, I love this line. I don't want to bother God with my problems. He's your father. When you go to the perfect parent, do you think he's bothering you? It's when you leave him out of your situation, you're bothering God. And so they lift up this simple prayer. The one you love is sick. You know, I prayed this way all week. When I was tempted, I worry and I don't even know I'm worrying. Can anyone relate? I have any honest people here? Good, I got two. I'm worrying when I don't even know I'm worrying. And so you know what I did this week when I was, when I was caught up in my worries and my fears? I catch myself and I would just say, Lord, the one you love is pregnant and swollen. My wife's very pregnant right now, for those of you who don't know. Lord, the one you love is throwing a temper tantrum. Lord, the church you love is grieving. Lord, that child you love is stressed and exhausted and tempted to hurt himself. And instead of worrying about sickness and suffering and death, I just lifted up these prayers. And so this week, worry less and pray more. And, and it, it can be at the start of your day. It can be before you go to bed, but it doesn't have to be a big thing. You can just sit in school and, Lord, the one you love is struggling with this test. And I, and I advise you to study before that happens. But, Lord, the one you love is, is, is ready to lose it at the DMV. Lord, the one you love. Pray for yourself and pray for others because those are the ones that God loves. So it's tough. I'm telling you to pray. But I have to tell you the other part. You want a happy, clappy, rainbow unicorn church? Go down the rainbows, unicorns, and all that other stuff. Go down the, the street. Everything's great. We're healthy. We're happy. We're wealthy. That's what I mean by that. Everything's fine. We're good. Just pray your way through it and everything will be okay. That's, that's down the street. Not here. I have to tell you the truth. They pray. They lifted up their prayer to the Lord for the one they loved. And you know what Jesus said. You have it in your bulletin. He said the sickness will not end in death. He said it will be for the glory of God. Does anyone know what happened to Lazarus? 
he died. Now that feels cruel. God promised to preserve his life. You can imagine Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had their hopes up. Why would Jesus get their hopes up high only to lose their brother to death? It seems like a contradiction to God's love and a contradiction to God's word. Sometimes God delays and it's not a contradiction to God's love. Sometimes we pray and God says yes. Other times God says no. And oftentimes God says wait. God's delays are not a contradiction to God's love. Sometimes we pray, we don't understand why, why things are getting worse, but God is still there meeting us in his love. And, God, and Jesus says, this will end in my glory. This sickness, which turns into death, the promise is, this will end in my glory. And ultimately, and we'll get to this, Jesus comes through on his word. Ultimately, they have an experience with God's love. Lazarus is raised from the dead. But that's not the ultimate proof of Christ's love. Your answer to your prayer is not the ultimate proof to God's love for you, God's love for your family. Because we all know you're going to be praying again for something else that's, that's gone wrong. The ultimate proof of God's love is that Christ comes into Bethany, the danger zone. He shows up at Lazarus' funeral. He tells Lazarus to come out of the tomb. He resurrects him from the life. And here's where the turn is. Jesus understood that by going into Bethany, the danger zone, and raising Lazarus up, that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ, and it would ultimately lead to his own funeral. The proof of God's love for you, for me, for the world, is not that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The proof of God's love, the foundation, the living evidence is that Jesus Christ went to the cross himself, took on the sins that were ours, bore our sins in his body. And on that cross, he saw you, he saw me, he saw us. And he said, they are worthy of my love and my salvation. So I lay down my life for my beloved. And that, my friends, is the proof in sickness and suffering and death that God is love. That Jesus is God. And that Jesus is love. You don't have to doubt his love. It's real. It's pure. It's true. It's unconditional. We just need to approach him in sickness and suffering and death. The same way that Mary and Martha went before him with our simplicity, our humility, our faith, and our love for him. Let us pray together. Lord, in silence and solitude, we sit here with ourselves, with you. 
And we thank you that through the cross there's a resurrection. Lord, that through sickness and suffering and death, that you find a way. We don't always see it, but you find a way to be glorified, to be known, to break through with your love. So we come before you and we thank you for all those times when we thought the story was over, where we found ourselves questioning, disturbed, powerless and helpless, and you broke through with your love. We lift up those who are here and those who are watching online. And we thank you, we confide in you, and we say, Lord, whatever may come, may you break through with your love and may you be glorified in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.